the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm still going to have to see it. Yeah, in some ways, uh, we seem to be getting closer to seeing sports, but you'll have to excuse me if I'm still in my I'll believe it when I see it mode. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to be in it for a while. The Penguins had their first day of training camp up at the Lemieux Complex in Cranberry today. Nine players were missing, apparently because they might have come in contact with someone who came in contact with somebody who tested positive for COVID-19. I guess that's kind of what they're going to be expected to go through. And this is the first day, by the way. I guess that's, uh, you know, what we're going to see. But but what if uh, five of those players end up testing positive? Do you then have to find out how many other players they may have contacted in the last two weeks? Uh, you know, players who might have uh, been in contact with them after they might have been in contact with somebody who might have had COVID-19. Anyway, we're about six weeks away from high school football supposedly starting end of July, I mean, end of August. So how much of a chance do you think there is of that happening? I would bet on zero right now, by the way. Sorry to say that. Over in Ohio, an organization of high school football coaches uh, proposed moving the season to the spring, which is something I wrote a column about this weekend, uh, and I think it's a good idea. Um, but the Ohio High School Athletic Association wouldn't even forward that proposal to the board of directors. You know, you got to believe that the uh, coaches know something. They know that they're not going to have a fall season, and they want to, instead of messing around and pretending like they're going to have one, they want to just say, now, let's play in the spring when maybe this insanity will be over. It's too bad because the kids deserve a chance to play, especially the seniors. And then out in California, the uh, the Rams and the Chargers are, I think all NFL teams are supposed to open training camp in about uh, 10 days, something like that, maybe two weeks. Um Today, the idiot governor out there, Gavin Newsom, rolled back the reopening of the state. He says they're moving back into a, quote, modification mode. Now, that means that uh, all bars in California are closed. Uh, All restaurants have to close their indoor dining services. Just about everything is closed, uh, actually, including in some counties, uh, they're going to close the churches. So can you see an NFL team holding a training camp in 10 days or two weeks? So I've been saying all along here, sports coming back is a big, big deal because when they do, it'll mean we, you know, we've approached returning to some kind of something approaching normal, uh, and that's not sports coming back with no fans. By the way, I'm talking about sports coming back and stadiums being filled with people. Most of the media are doing the best they can to keep people panicked, even though the number of people becoming dangerously sick, hospitalized, or dying is uh, shrinking every day even as the number of positive cases keep going up in some places. The longer it goes on, the less paranoid we all should feel, I think, anyway, for uh, believing that something's going on here that has nothing to do with the virus. It's beginning to, I mean, how do you believe anything other than that? Anyway, when we come back, an economist at West Virginia University, he did a study, 
And he came up with some numbers that will not give you a whole lot of confidence in believing that you're going to be able to see any sport in any stadium anytime soon. By the way, in our second half hour, we're going to talk to a woman whose 10-year-old son uh, goes to school in New York City. He's being told by the teachers that he's a racist, and so are his relatives. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? I'll be right back. Uncle Tom is a movie that leftist Democrats don't want you to see, which, of course, is one big reason why you should want to see it. Uh, Uncle Tom stars Larry Elder, Candace Owens, Herman Cain, and Brandon Tatum. Now, they all share three things in common. They're courageous, they had a life-changing experience, and they are black conservative Americans. Something else they have in common? Their voices are the ones the leftists don't want you to hear at a time when so many desperately need to hear it. It's their stories of how their lives were changed when they finally figured out the truth. It's the story of black conservatives in their own voice. You can see Uncle Tom now on pay-per-view. Just go to UncleTom.com and download it. The stories that these courageous people have to tell will shock you. Their journey will amaze you. It's a story of redemption and hope. It's the story of America's black conservatives, and it's the truth. See Uncle Tom now. Just go to UncleTom.com. Finally, here's the inside story of how the deep state went after President Trump in a new book entitled Above the Law. This is Matt Whitaker, former acting United States Attorney General. My new book, Above the Law, is a first-hand account of how former FBI Chief James Comey and top officials in the Justice Department worked against President Trump. In my book, I explain how the double standards were applied to President Trump and his allies by the mainstream media to achieve its goals. And you'll learn how the Mueller investigation was able to produce a massive report for the purpose of political subversion, in spite of the fact there was no evidence of wrongdoing by the president or his campaign. I also include my thoughts on how we ensure that this never happens again to another president or American citizen. It was an honor of a lifetime to serve this administration. In my book, you'll read why I encourage everyone to say yes to the call of public service. Get an up-close and personal perspective on Obamagate from inside the Justice Department. Read Above the Law, the eye-opening new book by Matthew Whitaker, available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Traveling internationally may not have been a priority for you in recent weeks. But as our country and others around the world start to reopen, we're confident it will be safe to travel to the Holy Land this December. Israel has already reopened to the public while maintaining safe social distancing. In fact, an independent organization recently rated Israel as the number one country on its COVID-19 safety ranking. There is no better time than now to sign up to join Dr. Sebastian Gorka and Mike Lindell from MyPillow on the Stand with Israel tour this December 2nd through 11th. Visit TheAnswerPGH.com, keyword Israel, to register. Seize the moment to celebrate life, freedom, and your faith by signing up to visit the inspiring Holy Land. Here's the best part. If for any reason you can't go, cancel without a penalty between now and August 14th. Reserve your spot today and travel to Israel this December with Dr. Sebastian Gorka and Mike Lindell. Visit TheAnswerPGH.com, keyword Israel. 
We're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days. Windows R Us Pittsburgh is no different. This is John Steigerwald. When it comes to working around your home, Windows R Us remains committed to the safety of you and your family. For roofs, gutters, and downspouts, siding, and, of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company. And all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty, why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. That's WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. You're listening to The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The Answer. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the Penguins opened their training camp up in Cranberry today with nine players missing, apparently because they came into contact with someone who might have come into contact with someone who had the COVID-19 virus. I have serious doubts about any sports being played anytime soon, major sports anyway. I could be wrong about that. And what about sports being played in front of um, actual living human beings in a stadium? That, That may be even a lot farther down the road. Brad Humphreys is an economics professor at West Virginia University. He's done a study that indicates we should wait a long time before putting people back in the stands. He joins us now. Brad, thanks for being here. John, thanks a lot for having me on. So, um, uh, first of all, before we get into what the study was, what prompted the study? What made you uh, decide to look into this? Oh, I read a a newspaper report or an Internet report about a a soccer match in Italy mm-hmm. uh, that was in in Milan that was linked to the horrible outbreak that they had in Bergamo, Italy, earlier this year, and I thought it was quite interesting uh, that it was po- that it might be possible that attending a sporting event might be a super spreader event, and there's there's no evidence on it. So we thought it, my research team thought it was worth a, a careful look. So you studied the uh, flu deaths in cities with big time uh, pro sports, and what did you find? Yeah, that's right. So we, we went back and, and looked at uh, cities that got new professional sports teams uh, compared to uh, cities that didn't have one. And we found that uh, that usual seasonal influenza mortality went up in those cities after they got new professional sports teams. Now, the effect differs by sport. Uh, baseball didn't have much effect, like a 4% increase in in. Uh, flu mortality, but hockey and the NBA, whose seasons coincide with uh, the flu season, saw up to 20% increases in uh, seasonal influenza mortality after getting a new professional sports team. Well, and th- those are the two uh, come at the bad time of year, but they also are indoors. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It, right. And. Uh, that that certainly has something to do with it. It's it's clear now that indoor uh, uh, transmission is a lot more common. So, and you know the the seasonal flu is transmitted in many of the same ways as the COVID nineteen. So, uh, we think that the, these results generalize to the the situation we're going through now. But uh, the the news for uh, Penguins fans isn't good as far as uh, 
when it would be a good idea to let uh, hockey fans back in the rink. Now, it might be different it, letting them in if they were going to do it in September, but in January or February, not a good idea. Huh? Exactly, uh, John. That's that's the one clear implication of this research is uh, indoor events with spectators in there. It Yeah, that's a bad idea unless you really want to enhance the transmission of uh, of the flu virus. So, but but in a city like Pittsburgh, or I guess any major league city, you know, for, with with major league sports, um, how many more flu deaths? You, you talked about percentages, but how many people are we talking about dying as a result of uh, opening up the stadiums? Yeah, in a city so like Pittsburgh. Uh, in in a city like Pittsburgh, so you know, annual flu. I'm sorry, weekly. No, over, let me back up a second. Over the flu season, a city like Pittsburgh might get uh, 10 to 30 flu deaths a year. So we're talking about another uh, seven or eight mm-hmm. because, of, uh, because of hockey. So it's not a huge number, but, you know, the, the fatality rates are much higher for, uh, for the coronavirus. Yeah, so that, it's hard that, to... Go ahead. Sorry. No, please go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say that the the fatality rate for uh, coronavirus is coming down, um, and you know as the as the cases go up, the per capita of deaths is is going way right. down. Actually, it's like ninety percent. Um, so it it comes down to um, the medical the health uh, officials uh, deciding how serious of a strain of influenza or flu or whatever the the disease is. Uh, you know. Um, and, and fatality more so than just people getting the flu. Because, I mean, if you get the flu, you get the flu. It's about death, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I agree. With, I, I certainly agree with uh, with that point. Although, you know, if we don't, I think the, the larger point for sports is, as you just said in the intro, uh, we don't really have to play these games. Uh, and we don't really have to play them with fans in the stands. Certainly the experience that we can see going on in Europe right now is they're able to successfully hold their mm-hmm. uh soccer league uh, competitions without fans there. Uh, so if we, you know, why do something to make things worse if we don't really have to uh, have those events take place? Now, you and you're, you, I mean, you're not a doctor, so you're, you're an economist and you, you work with the numbers and you, you uh, did all the math on this, but um, you're, and you're talking about COVID-19 and not just uh, leagues deciding not to play because somebody might get the flu. Right. I'm not, I'm right. I'm saying that we can help to inform our COVID-19 sports policy by looking mm-hmm. at what happened during the, the seasonal flu. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, other examples. Um, you know, if you have a hockey game and you have, say, 18,500, whatever it is, at Mellon, uh, at, uh, at the arena, uh, Pittsburgh, I forget the name of it now, Pittsburgh Pink Glass. <laughs> um, uh, it's been so long. Um no, but if you have if you have say eighteen thousand people in there, what if you also uh, um, decided that you were going to uh, on a uh, every Sunday you were going to tell people, which they've actually done in this case. But I mean, uh, and just if you if you just focused on nobody's allowed to go to church uh, now on, on Sunday because we have this uh, disease, and. Um, uh, and you know, I don't know how many people go to church in in Allegheny County every every Sunday. Say it's a hundred thousand people. If if those hundred thousand people stayed home, 
instead of going to church, would that be the same effect of not playing a hockey game? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Uh, I, I, that's certainly one 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 implication. Yeah, if 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 it, see, here's what we don't know, and what we can't find from my determine from my research. Uh, how much of this increased transmission of seasonal flu is attributable? attributable to actually being at the game and how much might be attributable to people getting together in a bar or a restaurant or their home to watch the game together. Ah, so, that's, so that's, that's, that's going on too. Yeah. There's, yeah, um, it, it certainly is. Right. And there's, there's another paper that, that looks at what uh, a NFL team going on a Super Bowl run does to, mm-hmm. to standard seasonal flu mortality. And they find increases there as well, about the same size that we do. And, you know, that's probably not people going to those games. People, you know, how Steelers fans, when uh, they make a deep run into the Super Bowl, they'd get together everywhere and, and, and watch those games. And that could equally be a part of this increased transmission from sporting events. Not even going, just getting together with friends to watch games. Yeah, and one of the things Inside. that they they came, uh, came on to a little bit too late, uh, very much too late, I think, in, in New York, was uh, the subways. Um you know, if if the Yankees are playing, I'm, I'm not that familiar with how you get the Yankee Stadium, but I, I'm pretty sure it's a subway to get get you there. Um, you know, if, if they if they shut down the subways but kept playing uh, baseball, I, I wonder if the the death total would have been different in New York City. Uh, absolutely, and there's there's economic evidence that uh, that public transportation has a plays a role in uh, in the. F- spread of all sorts of viruses, flu, but also things like uh, chickenpox. Um, there's an interesting paper from France that exploited uh, strikes. You know, the French are going on strike all the time right. and exploited public transit strikes to show that uh, that flu transmission was lower during these periods right after these public transit strikes, strikes took place. So, yeah, subways uh, probably represent a pretty important transmission mechanism. We're talking to Brad Humphreys. He's an economics professor at West Virginia University. Uh, where can people find your study, Brad? Uh, I It's available. It's, it's, so it is a working paper. It's not published yet, and it's available at the WVU uh, website on the economics department. I can send you a link, link to it so you can put it on your webpage or however you would, uh, uh, okay. you would distribute um, that. But I actually came across it. Uh, somebody wrote a story about it. Where did I see it? Um, uh, Contagion Live is the name of the website where I saw it, which was one I yeah. I'd never heard of before. But uh, I guess that's a this is a big time for them now. Contagion Live, <laughs> uh, you can find it there. I expect that, it is. There's a story about it. Um, so you also found examples of when leagues actually uh, stopped playing because of strikes and lockouts, and uh, the numbers changed then too, just by a delay, just like a, a an interruption of a season. That's right. You know, John, economists, we don't, we can't run many experiments easily. So we're always looking at things that, that sort of resemble experiments. Mm-hmm. And we also thought, well, sports, you know, what we want to do is turn sports on, turn sports off, see what happens to flu mortality. And strikes are perfect examples of that. I mean, you, you, you think you're going to play games, you don't play games, you don't know how long it's going to go on. It's just like uh, temporarily and randomly turning games off in cities. And we found that uh, seasonal flu mortality went down in cities after uh, that had teams that that experienced these strikes and lockouts. Yeah, and and your uh, conclusion is uh, to your study uh, is that um, 
Um, one, bringing back fans would be a, a big mistake right now? Yes. Based on your numbers? Based on my numbers, yes. Based on this on this research, I think bringing back sports with fans until we have a vaccine or we have herd immunity uh, is probably a bad idea. Well, well, and I think I think a lot of it also comes down to um, uh, determining who's affected by it uh, um, and how serious the the disease is now. If you do catch it, as long as you're not really old or already pretty sick, do you know what I mean? Um, that it's it, your your numbers show that it's pretty good pretty good evidence that uh, having games in stadiums and arenas is going to spread the disease. It's still up to the health people to decide how serious it is if it does spread. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah, I can't yeah. make that call. <laughs> no, neither yes, can I. Right. Yeah, well, a lot of people try to make the call. Hey, hey, Brad, I appreciate you being on. That's an interesting study, and it's uh, it's interesting, but I'm sure disappointing to a lot of people who are hoping to see. Uh, games and stadiums anytime soon. It uh, sounds to me like uh, it ain't going to be this year. Disappointing to me too, John. I'm a sports fan just like everybody else. Okay. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Great chat. Okay. Thanks. And um, <clears throat> before we go to the break, I, I, it's interesting because this, the, I think it's an interesting study. I, I mean, he's he's got the numbers there that, that uh, there's a definite correlation between games being played and people getting the disease or any disease, or any contagion, uh, and that's, uh, I don't think anybody is going to argue with that, especially after looking at his numbers. But again, it, it, it'll, it comes back to how serious is it if people start to get the disease? Is everybody going to die? I mean, if you compare what was being said back in March when, this, uh, when, the, when the panic started, uh, there were people walking around thinking that if they got this disease, there was a pretty good chance they were going to die, no matter how sick or how old or how old and sick they were. Um, and that seems to be changing now. And, and as the as the numbers of, of um, cases go up, the deaths are going down. So and and uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me here, but down in Florida, uh, I saw somewhere that the, the, the median age now is like 30 people who are getting it. And that they're just not being affected by it seriously. They're, they might get pretty sick, feel rotten for a few days or a week or two, but they're not dying and they're not even going to the hospital. So um, that's what has to be um, determined. It's still Brad Humphrey's numbers are great, but you, you still have – and 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 shouldn't be all that much of a surprise if you just think about the common sense. If you have uh, 20,000 people showing up in a building – during flu season that a lot of people are going to get the flu and then a certain percentage of those people are going to die. But the question is, at what point do you shut it down because you're terrified that people might get this disease? And is it an overreaction to shut it down because 20 people who get the flu might die from it? You know, the world doesn't stop, you know, because some people get the flu. Um, but it's interesting because, uh, um, I saw some things here. You know, there's still big discussion about masks and, uh, you know, whether or not the, the people should wear masks. This is really interesting. It's something I saw here today, a tweet by somebody named Drew Holden. Uh, he tweeted a bunch of things from the past. This is from uh, CNN in March. Masks can't stop the coronavirus in the U.S., but hysteria has led to bulk buying, price gouging. There's been a run of surgical masks in the U.S. because of the coronavirus scare. You don't need them. 
physicians say. Physicians say, back in March, according to CNN, you don't need masks. This is uh, speaking of uh, physicians, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. He's at CNN. There is another reason for healthy people not to wear masks. Healthcare workers need them, and there's a limited supply. Uh, so surgical masks aren't going to. Pro- this is this is Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Now remember, they they torture Donald Trump for not being serious enough about this back in uh, in March and February. Uh, this is March fifth. Okay, Dr. Sanjay Gupta uh, tweeted this. So surgical masks aren't going to protect you from the coronavirus, and the N95 masks will only do so if you are wearing them properly. That was uh, March. Now what are they saying? Get a mask or you're a bad person. I'll be right back. Stick around. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. A top doctor is warning that Florida's rapidly increasing number of coronavirus cases is turning Miami into the epicenter of the pandemic. And an epidemiologist says the region's situation is extremely grave. Their assessments came as Florida recorded more than 12,000 new confirmed coronavirus cases today. That's after a record-setting weekend. A Navy official says a fire suppression system was inoperable when a blaze erupted aboard the USS Bonhomme Richard in San Diego. The Howland gas system had been turned off while the amphibious assault ship was undergoing maintenance work. The fire erupted Sunday morning, and it continues to burn. At least 57 people were injured. Stocks gave up early gains and turned lower, barely finishing mixed today. The Dow gained 10, but the Nasdaq dropped 226 points. This is SRN News. Progressive Motorcycle presents Road Wisdom from the Motor. Half man, half motorcycle. In life, there's no stopping. Don't stop. But if you do... Make sure no one is behind you. All clear. Progressive Motorcycle also presents basic policies starting at $75 a year. Progressive Motorcycle, for those who were born to ride. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy is not available in all states. AT&T, $76 a month. Verizon Wireless, $83 a month. Sprint, $92 a month. That's what the average family of four is saving a month by switching to Pure Talk USA. Pure Talk will give you unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data, all for just $20 a month. Go to puretalkusa.com, enter the promo code HALFOFF, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. puretalkusa.com, promo code HALFOFF. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Dennis Prager wants to end the shutdown. Well, if you'd have been told in March that in July you will still be locked down, you would have said, no, no that's not possible. There's no end in sight. We cannot uh, indefinitely go on with the shutting down of our society. We cannot do this. The price is too great. The Dennis Prager Show, weekdays at noon, right before Sebastian Gorka at 3 on AM 1250. The Answer. The Answer Pittsburgh celebrates the high school class of 2020, and we'd like to reward your college-bound seniors' achievement during our Senior Spotlight Sweepstakes, presented by Salem Media Group. Enter now through August 20th for a chance to win a $500 school package. Click the contest banner at TheAnswerPGH.com and upload a photo of your senior with a short bio of their future plans. Then, Friday, August 21st, one lucky senior will win a $500 school package. The Senior Spotlight Sweepstakes, brought to you in part by Salem Media Group, Salem Surround and this station. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Writing an estate plan is one thing. 
having the experience to administer the estate is something else. At Abernathy and Hagerman, estate administration isn't a side job, it's what we do. You have the same goals we all do, to protect your assets, to minimize taxes, and ensure your inheritance gets to the ones that you love. How you get there, that's specific to you. So let's talk. Hagerman Law, legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. Now streaming on SalemNow.com is the brand new film, Selfie Dad. Selfie Dad, a funny yet powerful movie about a Christian dad in a midlife crisis. When confronted with the life-changing truths of the Bible, he learns the only way to have true happiness. God can do incredible things. Selfie Dad stars Christian comedians Michael Jr. and Shonda Pierce. Watch Selfie Dad at SalemNow.com and use promo code Pittsburgh to save 20%. That's SalemNow.com, promo code Pittsburgh. AM 1250 and FM 92.5, The Answer. WPGP, Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on The Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got The Answer. Have a tie-up on outbound 28 from Chestnut Street up to around Grant Avenue. That because of an accident. About a 10-minute delay or so. Inbound 28 looking okay. Now on the Parkway East, a little slow both ways approaching the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Parkway West, that's moving along in pretty good shape. And we've got some protests going on on Penn Avenue in the East Liberty area between Shady Avenue and Center Avenue. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Most of clear skies for tonight with a low 57. Tomorrow, an abundant amount of sunshine with a high 84. A couple clouds tomorrow night with a low 60. Partly sunny skies for Wednesday with a high 88. And Thursday, humid with a shower thunderstorm and a high 89. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. This is the John Stacker Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Now, kids may or may not be going back to school next month, but they will be being taught somewhere, somehow, by a teacher. How would you feel if you thought your 10-year-old uh, fourth grader was being taught how to be racist? You'd probably want the racist teacher fired. Limby Evans is a senior editor at the Post Millennial. And she got that feeling for her son's school in New York City. And Libby joins our, uh, Libby joins us now. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So um, uh, what made you believe that your, your son's school was instilling racism in him? I certainly don't think that that was intentional. They have undertaken a course of teaching anti-racism. And this was specifically in the wake of uh, George Floyd's killing in Minneapolis as mm-hmm. well as the protests and riots that ensued after that, and that definitely happened in New York. And what I was concerned about was not that they were teaching, um, you know, that America has certainly had a racist past or the legacy of slavery or police brutality or any of that. What concerned me was that the white kids in the class um, were being singled out as the bearers of this inheritance of racism that has been passed down from grandparents and parents through unconscious bias and that you could not even be aware of the fact that you have this within you, but it's there anyway, and there's not much you can do about it. Because the other thing, too, that's being taught is the idea of systemic racism and um, 
specifically in my son's class, the uh, idea was that systemic racism requires a systemic solution. But for fourth graders, uh, 10-year-olds who are not in charge of really anything other than their own hearts and minds, the concept of a systemic solution that they should be part of and involved with, I think would be rather daunting. And in fact, when the call was over, when the class time was over on these lessons, I had to let my son know that not only is he not racist, but his parents aren't racist, his grandparents aren't racist, um, you know, that he has a legacy of people in his family who have been fighting against police brutality, who have been involved in education, who are involved in integration and things like that. So uh, that's the problem, I think, is the way that these things are being taught with perhaps good intentions are instilling values that are the exact opposite of what the intentions are. I don't think people are really thinking through these ideas when it comes to kids. Well, that uh, that sounds a lot more like indoctrination than it does teaching. It sure does, doesn't it? That was the problem that I had with it. I know that his teachers um, care about the kids in the class. The kids in the class primarily are first and second generation immigrant kids whose parents presumably brought them here from uh, Middle Eastern and Asian countries, primarily in South American countries, to have a life that they couldn't have there. So... This is also indoctrinating a generation of um, immigrant kids who are, are now led to believe that their parents brought them to some horrifying place, which I don't think is what their parents were looking to instill either. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's one of the things that anytime this, this comes up about uh, what a racist country this is and a terrible place for, for black uh, people and you know, people of color, um, and they, 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 there are plenty of people of color who are still trying to get in here. Some of them do it illegally. Um, and so you have teachers basically let it, making these kids believe that their parents made a big mistake. They brought you to a really bad place. That's probably not right. what their parents want them to think. And it certainly isn't the view that I've heard from their parents either who brought them here or whose parents brought them here. You know, that wasn't really the idea. The idea, the idea was, shockingly, that there are nations in the world that do not have a democratic representation, that do not have the kind of freedoms that we have, or the ability of individuals in the country to move between classes, to, to chart their own destiny and make their own path in life. Um, and I think it's really disappointing that what kids are being left with is specifically this one legacy of the horror of our, you know, racist ancestors and, and the difficulty of America's past, instead of learning that we can chart our own course, we can tell our own stories, we get to decide what it means to be an American. We don't have to capitulate to these, this ideology that everything since the founding of our country is a misery. It's just not true. It's just not, it's just not reality. Yes, it's important to learn about the difficulties that we've had, just as it is for any nation to learn about the difficulties that they've had. When you look at Germany, however, Germany has risen from the ashes of, of the 20th century to lead Europe, and no one's trashing on their doorstep their legacy of horror that they right. infiltrated upon the entire world. Um, you know, we've had difficulties, sure, 
even into well into the 20th century. But there has been a substantial amount of progress. And I think it's shameful for educators to completely forget that and negate that by focusing entirely on the legacy of George Floyd from, you know, a month and a half ago or whatever, which of course was a terrifying and horrible thing, as opposed to focusing on the true brilliant black leaders we've had in this country that have paved the way for civil rights, equity, equality, and, you know, the dreams that immigrants seek when they come here. We're speaking to Libby Emmons. She's senior editor at the Post Millennial. Um, and uh, Libby, your, your uh, son is in fourth grade. Is this just at a uh, just a, a regular neighborhood city public school? Yeah, we he uh, he attends our local zoned school, and we were and, happy to put him in it. You know. So yeah, but but um, you, you know you you've you've written a piece about it, and you're talking about it here. But what about the the parents of the other kids? Have they raised any objections? Do, do they are they well, aware of what's going on as much as you are? I don't know if they are. I've talked to a couple of parents, and I haven't really brought this up. Um, I haven't wanted to sow any seeds of discord between my child and um, his friends. So mm-hmm. I've I've pretty well left it alone. Uh, I am intending to leave him in the school, but to get. Um, substantially more involved in the educational system in our district. So that's you know, where uh, that's where I'll be next month. So that's that, that meeting, virtual yeah. though it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it's and I mean, public schools are a monopoly. You don't have there is no school choice. So if you want your son to go to a public school, that's it. I mean that. Yeah. And what? What? Yeah. Go ahead. That's pretty much the option in New York City. Um, however, the indoctrination, I believe, in private schools, and I'm a product of a private school system myself, and I think that it's um, probably far worse in the private schools than it is in the public schools. Specifically it's worse. For the reason, yeah, I think it's much worse, specifically oh, for the boy. reason that, you know, you have so many children of privilege at those schools, and the educators there have um, have reason to, you know, let the kids know just how privileged they are. White um, guilt going on a little bit. A lot of, yeah, a lot of white guilt. And there's, there's nothing wrong with recognizing your um, gifts, whether you've earned them or not. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a problem with that. But blaming children for the way that they were born, um, dividing children along racial lines, uh, assigning blame, assigning pity, assigning you know, the roles of victim and oppressor, to any child, I don't think is going to lead to the kind of results that the anti-racist educators want it to. I think, in fact, it's going to lead to more division um, rather than rather than unity. Yeah, you know, um, I read your piece, and when I was reading it, um, I'm thinking, I mean, it's been a million years since I was in fourth grade, a long time ago. Um, but try to imagine... Um, even dealing with a subject like this in the fourth grade, and I and of course I started, but I'm old enough that we started school a year earlier than kids do now. So I was only nine when I was in fourth grade. But mm-hmm. the idea that they would be even discussing something like this in fourth grade that I would have to be dealing with it. I, I, it's it's uh, what about reading, writing, and arithmetic? Are they doing any good in that? <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> they're doing better in that than they are in the other subjects. It was interesting, too, because I think that what happened is that the New York City School Chancellor sent out a directive, or maybe it was a suggestion, to educators in the um, in the five boroughs to address the police brutality that we had seen um, and to address the protests and the riots. And I think that while the intention was, you know, I mean, I don't have to say that they had good intentions. They probably, you know, everyone does what they do with, the, with good intentions. But um, what was interesting was that in addressing these things, my son's teachers had said, um, oh, you're not going to learn about civil rights movement until next year. That's right. You're not going to learn about, you know, the civil war and slavery really until next year. Up to this point, that hadn't been a big part of the curriculum. And learning about the way that you should view the country before you learn about the country's history, learning that you should view the country's history as a, you know, really negative, in a, through a really negative light before you even learn the facts definitely will put an uncomfortable spin on that history once they've learned it. I think it makes a lot more sense to teach the facts before you teach the um, ideology that you want people to, kids to look at those facts with. Um, is this, I think that's it, far more important. Is this the New York City version of the 1619 Project? Uh, because thousands of school um, districts, systems, have uh, taken on the 1619 project to put it in their curriculum. And what you're describing yeah. sounds a lot like what they're going to be selling. I'm sure they're going to get to that. Um, you know, I've been, I've been very um, aware lately within the past couple of months, the responsibility that I bear to make sure that my son receives a much more extracurricular education than certainly my parents thought they needed to provide when I was a kid, it was, you know, focus, do better in school. Uh, yeah. These grades aren't good enough to go do your homework, things like that. Yeah. And for, you know, for me, it's a lot more about, uh, a lot less about grades and its achievement and test scores and a lot more about making sure that he gets the information that he needs to have a fair and an unbiased view of, um, you know, his country and, everything else as possible as I, as I can, you know, we do a lot of um, museum visits. We do a lot of history conversations and reading and things like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not much for it. You know, parents really need to get a lot more involved in their kids' education than, um, than certainly my generation of, um, than, than my parents were involved in mine. Yeah, mine just sent me I mean, off to school. That would be uh, the end of it. Yeah, I went to Catholic school, and and um, and it was they were good schools. We learned a lot, and I've always thought they were better than the public schools that my friends went to, just based on the conversations I had with them, when with them, with uh, what was required of them compared to what I was required to do. But mm-hmm. um, uh, this uh, this would be this would be something that what you're describing would be uh, would result in the immediate yanking of me out of the school if that if this was if if my parents knew this was going on, they, something would happen. They wouldn't put up with it. And I don't, I don't yeah, know whether I, they would be aware I, of it, but they wouldn't put up with it. I think that that's certainly a position that a lot of parents can take, and that's fair. The thing we also have to remember, though, is that parents of um, 
means and capabilities or have those kind of resources to do that, to, to put kids in private schools or to do a lot of home, um, do homeschooling or extracurricular tutoring or things like that. That's all well and good, and we can focus on our own kids, and we do, and we should, and that's important. But we also have to remember that there are so many kids who are going to these public schools who also need a good education, who also need to grow up not feeling like they're an oppressor, not feeling like they're a victim, feeling Mm -hmm. that they can determine their own future, that they can make their own choices, that they can be astronauts and presidents um, and statesmen and whatever else it is that that people want to do. And to abandon the public schools wholesale would be really to deny a generation of America's youth the access to their own potential. And I think that would really be a devastating thing. We're talking to Libby Emmons. She's a senior editor at the Post Millennial. You can see her piece at thepostmillennial.com. Got about a minute left here, uh, Libby. Just, I, I have a feeling that the teachers, you mentioned that uh, you don't want to cause too many problems right away with for your son, but do the teachers uh, not only defend this but are probably proud of what they're doing, thinking they're doing a great job? They, I reached out to my son's teachers, and I was very trepidatious to do so. I was trepidatious, in fact, to write the piece at all, um, but I did feel that it had to be said, and they did not feel that it was appropriate for me to uh, write about their class teachings or use their, their classes um, as material for my story, but I also didn't feel that it was right for them to use my son as a sociological experiment, uh-huh. uh, so I guess fair is fair. <laughs> well, they're not, they're not that thrilled with this. Uh, what they're doing being advertised. They, 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 it's better for them if people don't know about it, I think, for them. Yeah, uh, I mean, my son's teachers were, you know, they were exceptional teachers, and I, I think they did a wonderful job all year. This was, the, this was the one lesson that, and I, you know, I was on the virtual learning. I paid attention to that as much as I could this past term while working, and, um, you know, talked to my son about it a lot. And this was really the first time that I was just sort of, completely floored by what was being taught and it started to make me concerned not necessarily about math not about reading not about you know handwriting or that but uh definitely started to make me concerned about the state of the humanities and the educational system which we already knew was a problem in universities and has certainly trickled all the way down to the elementary grades Hey, Libby, I'm, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you being on. Libby Emmons, uh, post-millennial. Uh, check the piece out. Thank you very much. Hope to have you on again. Thanks so much. Okay, we'll be right back. As the will of the students goes, so goes the will of the nation. This is a central theme of the new movie, Return to the Hiding Place, the film about Corrie ten Boom and her secret army of teenagers' heroic efforts to hide and save Jews from the Nazis during World War II. Corrie's story was made famous by her book and original movie produced by the Billy Graham Association. Now, 45 years later, comes Return to the Hiding Place, the untold, behind-the-scenes true story of Corrie's secret army of student teenagers' efforts to 
rescue Jewish people. Told by Hans Poli, one of Corey's teens in the resistance, Return to the Hiding Place is an action-packed film of the Dutch underground's true, breathtaking rescue of an entire orphanage of Jewish children. Return to the Hiding Place, starring John Rice davies Watch this captivating movie tonight with your older children at SalemNow.com and save 20% with promo code Pittsburgh. Return to the Hiding Place at SalemNow.com, promo code Pittsburgh. Due to historical content, might not be suitable for younger audiences. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give back to our listeners. You can get great discounts on all MyPillow products if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener specials. You're going to see some amazing offers. Right now, MyPillow is offering an exclusive radio special. Today, they're offering buy one, get one free on a variety of their amazing products, including the Supima MyPillows, MyPillow towels, roll-and-go anywhere pillows, duvet covers, Giza pillowcases, bolster pillows, and neck pillows. Plus, if you buy Mike Lindell's book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO, you'll get free shipping and a $25 gift card. Just go to MyPillow.com and enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087. Be sure to use promo code STAG. MyPillow is answering the call for more face masks as the country continues to deal with the global coronavirus pandemic. They'll be making face masks for hospitals across the country. Armchair psychologists have tried and failed to throw doubt on President Trump's sanity, but there's a new book that puts truly insane rulers in historic perspective. It's called History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. Author Scott Rank has unearthed the real lives of the nine most mentally unbalanced leaders through the ages. Some suffered from schizophrenia, like King Charles VI of France, who thought he was made of glass. Then there's Ottoman Sultan Ibrahim, the first who practiced his archery skills by pointing his arrows at his palace servants. And how about the president for life of Turkmenistan, who named the days of the week after himself? There's a serious side to all this. Power can be addictive and destructive for those who hold on to it for too long. This book, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers, takes an in-depth look at the toxic mixture of absolute power and insanity. Are insane rulers a relic of the age of monarchs? Get the surprising answers in the new book, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers by Scott Rank. Order it today at Amazon or wherever books are sold. Hey, are you guys open? Yeah, yeah we are. Come on in. As businesses reopen across the nation... Is your business prepared for what comes next? Salem Surround can help. COVID-19 brought America's thriving economy to a screeching halt. But now, local businesses are getting back to normal, and families are getting out to shops, stores, and restaurants. Are you ready for the return to business and all that pent-up consumer demand? Business recovery plans should be ready to go right now. The marketing team at Salem Surround is ready to help, so you don't waste a minute or a dollar recapturing market share. We'll help design your recovery plan targeting potential customers with proven marketing strategies with everything in our toolkit working for you digital audio mobile even audience engaging contests and promotions contact salem surround for a free evaluation of your digital marketing plan learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com surroundpittsburgh.com connecting you with new customers Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. So here's some insanity for you. How about if you uh, had a kid going to Amherst College, uh, $75,000 a year, 56, seven, yeah, 56000 uh, maybe 70000 a year with uh, room and board. Uh, this is what they're looking at before they go to school. This is what they got in the uh, uh, notification from the school. 
uh, uh, students will be expected to maintain appropriate physical distancing, especially in classrooms. Students are expected to wear a mask or face covering at all times, with the exception of when alone in individual rooms. Under no circumstances are non-resident guests, included, including enrolled Amherst or five college students who live off campus, permitted to visit at the residence hall. This is uh, also this is you know you're going away to college now. You uh, if you do leave, you have to get uh, somebody go with you and then show you how to get back onto campus. And then um, students will be expected to adhere to a statement of shared responsibility. We uh, and and uh, by the way, there's no parties, no gatherings of anybody any any uh, size bigger than ten people, and you're paying seventy thousand dollars a year to go there. Human civilization is doomed. I think we'll talk about it tomorrow, maybe if we're not doomed by then. See you then. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.